William Ramsey, uh, thanks again for joining me today for another conversation on the Smiley Face Killers. Great. Thanks for uh, the invite. It's glad to be back. Absolutely. And I recently just finished your SFK Part 2 documentary, and maybe we can start there. That was another great uh, effort on capturing this phenomenon, and you did so by kind of doing some case files, and I'll let you just explain that from there. Yeah, I think that I just really tried to expand upon my first one, which was kind of much more detail, much longer, as a matter of fact, three and a half hours. But I really just wanted to show that it was a global phenomenon. I come into contact with information about cases that were taking place in Europe, Australia, uh, UK again. But so I really just wanted to expand upon that. So I added a lot of case files, but also there were new kind of perpetrators that fit into uh, who I think is committing these crimes, like much like my first documentary, I included names of people like Stephen Port or uh, you know some of these other uh, dark actors who I think were involved in this stuff. Or it's Port actually. The inquest is still going on in the UK, so there's definitely been new developments and new victims, and uh, the phenomenon itself is still taking place. So uh, the second yeah. documentary is SFK: The Global Slaughter Continues, is the title. Yeah, and it's a great documentary as far as the continuation goes from the last one because you do have a great effort on showing how many more of these cases are really out there. Yeah, what the scary thing is is that I just tried to curtail it and keep it low, but I probably left a whole other documentary on the cutting room floor like of other cases that I could still continue on. So my case well, list is probably two to 300 uh, victims that fit the profile perfectly of... Younger men in strange environments disappear, not necessarily even close to the water, but then end up found in water. So, uh, Sure. Sorry. Yeah, and, and in your documentary, I saw that you captured a number of cases I was familiar with and a couple of cases I wasn't familiar with, in fact. So you did a good job as far as casting a wide wide scope there. Well, thanks. But one of the things I noticed you did there as well was, you know, um, identifying some of these additional MOs. Now, you just mentioned kind of the classic smiley face killer mode of operations the the young man oftentimes highly intelligent oftentimes highly skilled young man college aged predominantly goes out drinking this is appears and then is later found x number of days later drowned in a local body of water now you actually took that a step further this time and kind of showed i thought in this documentary where there may be in fact different cells as there are different terrorist type of cells, there could be different cult type of cells committing these crimes as well. That's kind of what I gathered from sort of the message of what yours, your new part two documentary was stating. Well, I would agree with that. I mean, if you look at the one guy who popped up earlier this year, Katunsky, out of Michigan, um, his victim's name was Kevin Bacon. It was something that fits into this kind of general profile of my research, which I found out a lot of these grinder, these kind of dating apps are typically or tend to be involved particularly with some of the old cases that i've studied but as it's still that theme is consistent in the new cases and this victim was kevin bacon the same name as the actor who mm -hmm. interestingly got involved in this case uh, because of the name similarity so the real actor kevin bacon actually uh was was got you know he got tagged and was involved kind of a little bit in a tangential way but yeah katunsky himself is yeah well katunsky himself is interesting because it opened up and confirmed or validated some of the speculations. Hold on just a second. 
Yeah, no, no problem. Can you hear that? It's Barely. It's not, okay, not that okay. loud. Okay. Um, so, anyway, so you kind of confirmed the stuff. Katunsky was an older guy, 50, who had a very strange personal life. He uh, was married, had had kids, and but he was involved in this kind of wolf underground where they were talking with each other online and sharing information that... You know, they were talking about full moons, they were, they had insignia or iconography, and they had kind of inside jokes in this kind of, this is kind of like a subset of the gay community. It was very strange. And one of the other oddities about this baking case, and I give credit to the police that were in Michigan, is that they either got some information or heard of something from my documentary or something, but he had had a secret room in his basement and he allowed the cops in. He gave them consent to search. And somehow they found that secret kind of dungeon that was in mm. his basement. So they either were smart enough to look for it or had an inkling or hint. Sure. So, And that uh, was a good conclusion I thought you reached in your first part of your documentary, part one, with the kind of psychosexual aspects of, of these crimes, where it's not necessarily just the act of murder. There are some motivations of a religious and sexual nature, it seems. Yeah, well, I mean, you look at Peter Christofferson, guy who's uh, been around and was in all these kind of underground uh, industrial bands and stuff like that. And that whole story with, I think it was Broken, was the video that kind of played out the kind of M.O. of the SFK. So you see that played out with Katunsky uh, as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, the interesting, one of the interesting facts I've learned of Katunsky from Jim Smith, who was the chief researcher for the film, is probably the guy with the most knowledge about this phenomenon anywhere. Sure. He's willing to talk about it publicly. Sure, I um, agree. I, I communicate with, with Jim Smith, your researcher, frequently on Twitter. Yeah, so he's really Very on point. Knowledgeable. Yeah, I mean, really, I'm more important to me than the original investigators, Gilbertson and Gannon. But, uh, yeah, he, I, and I can agree with you on that regard, because one thing that Jim Smith's work has, has produced as far as opening up my eyes and, and changing my perspective on the subject in, in, in similar fashion to what we're talking about right now is there's clearly different cells. There's clearly different groups, yeah. different cults, different chapters, whatever you want to call them, operating somewhat, you know, in, you know, with with the other chapters or groups, but also somewhat independently. So when they right. commit these crimes, there are some certain different aspects that I think, again, in number two, one of the one of those precise aspects would have been the finding the victims submerged in retention ponds. Yes. You found a very, you found a very small geographical area in which that was occurring, and I would say that's a good example of a group that's operating in that area that may be di- operating differently than maybe a group in Georgia or California. Right, that's a good point. Yeah, I think those were the Indiana cases, right? They, they t- were. In fact, yeah. you 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 had a couple of them, which I thought were like the key highlighted ones, but there are a few more. I think they probably could be added to that list with the retention ponds between. Indiana and Ohio. Yes, I think you're right. So it's, that's an interesting point too, and uh, you know, you just see that that same pattern. So I can't remember the kid's name who was there, but like it fit all the profile. He traveled somewhere to meet someone and and disappeared, and then ended up in a retention pond. Yeah. So um, I think it was Joshua Smoles was 
individual in swalls, the Yeah, there were swalls, and there was another one that ended up in the same retention pond from the same bar, like a year later, right? Yeah. Yeah, and then, but there uh, was... I think it was even a month. It was even a month month before. later. Okay, yeah. I, my memory. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, oh, yeah, so... Yeah, no, but that's an excellent point. You make an excellent point there. Yeah, that's so you a great say, example of have a small geographic. Oh, go, ju- ahead. go ju- ahead. Oh, I'm just going to say, going back to Jim Smith, finishing my thought, Kentunsky, he oh, traced okay. his work history to the island exactly where Dakota James was found back two, Real. three years. Yeah, so he used to work at this chemical company that had somebody had a placement there. That's exactly where, I mean, and he was, uh, Dakota James was missing, and I updated him on the second documentary, too, because there's more important, salient, permanent, uh, pertinent information that came out about him, but they were found right there off the Ohio River, right where Katonsky had, had uh, his footprint. It's incredible. That is, that is an interesting uh, point of fact, because that definitely draws for, uh, you know, more questions to the matter. You know? Yeah, and Katonsky has, a, like, a, a mental case history. I mean, the guy fits the profile of a lot of these other like uh, her Baumeister who operated in the Midwest who was who was a serial killer and some of the uh, Eiler who I who I did an, a show about her name was Kolarek who uh, studied this other guy who would actually cross over the border I think it was Illinois and Indiana and knowingly switch in between uh, jurisdictions to confuse the police right there in that's, the Midwest that's yeah. extremely clever yeah, and that actually, I was told by uh, another researcher that her book was found with uh, Jeffrey Dahmer. That was one of the books that he was reading—a book about this other homosexually motivated serial killer. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, and folks like Dahmer definitely seem to have at least the circumstantial evidence supporting that they're part of a larger network. It seems like it. You know, there's so, definitely numerous times in Dahmer's biography of events in his life that I've definitely said like that doesn't seem right like this seems like this is evidence of him being part of a larger network but you see him operating uh, traveling through gay bars and stuff like that and you see these other guys dakota james example was i think popping in and out of that that kind of bar life sure. before he disappeared so um sure. yeah so and there was another one in columbus ohio that you featured in your first documentary that's a Cincinnati, Ohio resident, or was native to Cincinnati, Ohio. Yeah, that's with, Joey Labute. But his demise. Yeah. Correct, Joey Labute. And he was very much in the same the same capacity going through gay bars and gay dating apps. He seems yes. to have may, may have fallen victim through one of those measures. Correct. You know, yeah. Where he's getting targeted through the bar, he's getting targeted through the app. Yeah, it's pretty scary. It's pretty dangerous. So, um yeah, a lot of a lot of really new, uh, updated information, important stuff that uh, I think tells more of this story. And I've actually had communications with other in, uh, investigators who have traced some of the early, uh, you know, was it uh, the early first victim zero in New York to people who were in New York who were interested in that same kind of stuff, BDSM, yeah. So yeah, I think you really hit a home run there with some of that, some of those aspects of the BDSM. Um, from you know underground from your first documentary, I really do think that that you have definitely struck something there that seems to be right on target with the exact group of people that may be perpetrating these things. Well, I think it it explains the the odd duration between when the person disappears and when they're found, because yeah. typically and the most if you look through my first documentary particularly, there's these immense searches that are going on, very careful searches, very meticulous water searches and nothing's found and then somebody 
shows up. Shane Montgomery outside, I think, of Philadelphia. They found his car keys, but they didn't find him. I mean, what's that tell you? Yeah, only a few feet of water. Right, so you can see the pictures of them. They're like in waist-deep water going through. I forgot the the name of the river out there, but... I'm, I'm glad you brought that point up because it, that is another salient characteristic of these crimes is that the area in which the victim is found is an area that's already been searched quite right. extensively. Right. And one of your examples from the new documentary was an individual named Kyle Rogers. Kyle Rogers, He's right. Young man who disa- he disappeared two years ago in Illinois. Right. Outside of Chicago, fast. right? West of Chicago. Um, I think he was more southern Illinois. Okay. I don't precisely know. It was Belvedere, Illinois. Belvedere, I know it's on the right. west side. Yes. Yeah, so this is like another fits the same profile. I think he was at a bar, disappeared, missing. Classic, yeah. yeah. Classic, yeah. Classic, yeah. Classic victim profile points right there. And the area he was found in was maybe six inches of water, and it was searched earlier that day. Right. So how was this happening? It's the same thing that happened with uh, Dakota James. Like, the police actually, I showed right. that in my first documentary. When did you search the island? Oh, just this weekend. When is he found? Monday morning. So somebody's doing something late night or early morning, Sunday night or Monday morning when it's quiet and, you know, sure. nobody's watching. So It almost look, seems yeah. like they're paying attention, though. If you, would you agree that the perpetrators of these crimes are, are watching the police activities to know when and where to dump the bodies? Yes, I would agree with that. It definitely seems like that is an element, yeah. Because these cases are very, um, they're in the news, you know. They, they're mm-hmm. very well covered, at least initially, until the body's found. But sure. uh, they're very much yeah, in which the is news. Aided yeah. in your documentary has, has shown that, that all of this news footage. I mean, yeah. I follow these cases, and I'm sometimes surprised when I watch your documentary. You just bugged out there for a little bit. It does seem to get an extensive amount of news coverage, which yeah. then begs the question, what happens? Why, <laughs> why why the media onslaught and then nothing really, there's no investigations, kind of everything goes by the wayside once the victim's even found? It's incredible. I mean, you'd think that if they took an overarching look at the enormity of this phenomenon, they would still look into it. And I think it's changing. I think Katunsky is a perfect example of that change, but... Uh, Really? Yeah, because I think that they the cops seem to know or anticipate what to do looking at their kind of fact pattern. Because they knew that Kevin Bacon had been sure. on a uh, a dating app, and it seems like they just said, well, let's figure out where he went. Because they could have done the same thing or subpoenaed information from Grinder for Joey Labute and Dakota James, but that never got publicly, it was never shown in public that they did that. Right. It was never, yeah, they, like, never, they never, never took that step. Yes. So they figured out Katunsky from the grinder information, and then they seemed to know, okay, this is what we're looking for. This is probably what's going on. And they had probably had the information. Katunsky had had potential victims get out, run from his house, screaming and shouting, you know, which is, wow. so they, yeah, so that was in the news as well. So um, it seems like they're, they're these this kind of, and I think that that's why these cases have been, veiled in mystery and confusion people didn't understand the motivation in the MO so the cops didn't mm-hmm. either so that's why they don't see these they don't quite look at these bodies who are in water not necessarily drowned as something uh, malevolent or yeah that seems, that seems reasonable I think that's an easy way for to explain the lack of interest from the police in many yeah, circumstances and I think the public you know I think that there's I mean if they yeah, so, yeah 
it's it's just a shame for me that a lot of these cases are written off, and that some of them are turning around to be murder. It was the uh, Chris Jenkins case. The cops flipped and went back and said, okay, this is probably some form of murder. It's not an accidental death. But I do think so. It's, at least sure. some of the sensibilities are changing. No, so I, think, I think you make some good points there. I think you make some good points. And I think Chris Jenkins is a good example. We're looking 20 years later for many of these cases now. And, you know, we're trying to wonder what's changed or, you know, what's, right. how is this evolving? I think you've made some good points there for how the investigations and some police, you know, some, ju- some jurisdictions, obviously, not all jurisdictions. Correct. But some jurisdictions, I think, have taken note. I would agree with that. I mean, I mean, I think, unfortunately, in the uh-huh. case of Dakota James, the, the uh, prosecutor there just basically said there's nothing suspicious. I show in my newer documentary that there's something very suspicious and even uh, uh, Cyril Weck thinks something suspicious because the guy had freaking ligature marks sure. on his neck that anybody could yeah, see. Yeah, autopsy. Yeah. Sure. yeah, you just look at it. Well, the other thing that I thought was suspect with him that the law enforcement seemed so willing to discard was the previous kidnapping attempt weeks earlier. Right. That's an excellent point. Yeah, so that was, I, I referenced that in the documentary. It was an article in the Daily Beast. I don't know if it's you or me, right. but you're popping in and out. A friend had to come pick him up. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so really? Hmm. It's probably me. But, but anyway, it's okay. Um, well, let me, give me one second. I, my computer automatically switched back to my 2G okay. modem instead of my 5G. That could be it. Okay. It shouldn't disconnect us. Let me, let me, let me switch here, though. Okay. Possibly. All right, cool. You're definitely back. Good? Yes. Okay. So, um, yeah, so I think that hopefully there'll be uh, more and more people kind of taking a look and looking with a a more critical eye. Yeah, I I like to think so. And, you know, I think the other limiting factor there is something I think you've addressed and something I've addressed, a topic of kind of debunking the debunkers. Because... A lot of times when someone has questions on these things, you know, they'll go on the Internet and they can see, you know, the FBI report saying that there's nothing here to look at or right. the Center for Homicide Research concluding there's nothing here to see. Right. You know, I think these agencies, you know, they're not doing any service in the matter as far as just writing things off immediately. I tend to think they probably have ulterior motives, but yes. that's just me. No, I totally agree with you. I actually think the FBI is hyper-corrupt now, something that I didn't know the totality. I think that a lot of the stuff that's being put forward in the public has probably been going on for decades. And some of the actors I've seen in the FBI are less than uh, honest with... I mean, they don't have any integrity to the truth, in my opinion, (laughs) which is my opinion. But John Douglas, I mean, just the guy, just his work on the West Bank 3 was an atrocity. But the research brief, they're looking at all the information that they've garnered, really, in my opinion, from Gilbert and Gannon. And I think that one, if I would criticize them, and I've done this in the past, it's that they just haven't put all their evidence out into the public. I mm-hmm. think they've kept the cards close to their chest. And I think that's uh, I think that's an error for a lot of reasons, because they're not letting the public sift through and kind of separate the wheat from the chaff and sure. determine it. So I, in some ways... I, I, I credit think you make a good point there. You yeah, I think I credit Jim Smith, and you know I tried to do myself as well. But you know I, you know I think that once you look at all the evidence that's put out, 
it's un undeniable this MO is happening in a global manner. And I mean, it's probably even worse because of language barriers because somebody in Spain or in some of these other countries in Germany may know that these phenomenons are ha happening, but they just don't, aren't able to kind of decipher the Tower of Babel and, and look at these other phenomenons in other langu languages and other nations. Sure. I think that's reasonable. And as far as the FBI goes, yeah, they're definitely seeming more corrupt as the days go on lately. And, you know, you look at those aspects where they're clearly, you know, subverting justice in numerous cases across the FBI, not just like one area or one person. It seems to be fairly widespread, you know, and you c combine that with the fact that the FBI for 40 years outright denied the existence of organized crime. Right. So we may be speaking of an occult crime or some ritualistic crimes here with these smiley face killers, but I mean, the fundamental basis of it, it's an, it's organized crime. Yes, it's a form of organized crime. I agree with that. Yeah. And the FBI has a lengthy history of covering up organized crime. For 40 years, J. Edgar Hoover even said publicly there's just no organized crime. After these, the, There's congressional hearings after the death of John F. Kennedy. Right. J. Edgar Hoover is still testifying there's no such thing as organized crime. Completely preposterous yeah. at that point. Preposterous. Well, and then the other interesting. I'm glad you brought up the occult crime because I not only do people send me this research brief from the Center for Homicide Research all the time, which I think I right effectively right, I get that yeah. So they just send it to me and go, "Hey, here's the obvious. It's debunked." Yeah. Obviously, but, you didn't read this. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay, for the fifth time. Uh, but um, they also the landing report is oft mentioned by other ex FBI people as this kind of go to report that supposedly totally debunks the notion of occult-motivated crimes. And then you read the landing report, and he doesn't quite say that. He said that a well, lot of these, I mean, the gist or the, the, the crux of what he, landing writes, is that he thinks that a lot of these pedophile crimes were not occult-related. They're really just pedophile crimes. That's really the gist of the landing report. So these other people, the FBI, are misinterpreting or actually just got bad information. And the way that Lanning kind of goes out and, and de, uh, de, supposedly debunks or discredits occult-motivated crime is his standard. I mean, you have to appreciate it as an attorney. So you set up this obtuse, obscure standard that nothing could ever do. Like, I have to go back and look at the Lanning report, but I think he says, to be in a cult cr crime, you have to be in a cult and then say, I'm doing this for the purpose of occult me means, and then stand on my left leg and touch my nose. And if you don't do that... It's not an occult crime. Right. So that's yeah. how he describes it. So he's basically discounting people like Richard Ramirez. He's discounting uh, Jesus uh, Adolfo Constanza from Mexico. He's sure. just discounting all these other people who are occult. I mean, you can talk about Damien Eccles, occultists who, um, not, you know, you don't know what happens at the actual day of the crime, but there's all kinds of stuff around them that show an occult purpose, occult influence that so anyway so the landing report to me is ridiculous i think the fbi discounting this what did they say to date we have not developed any evidence to support links between these tragic deaths or any events substantiating the theory that these deaths are the work of a serial killer or killers Ooh. um so i think but you know the other thing is that i kind of 
gave them a little buy in the sense that they didn't look at all the evidence. I think the article for the uh, Center for Homicide Research, which was mentioned, I think on Dr. Phil or referenced on Dr. Phil, because both of the guys, Gannon and Gilbertson, were on Dr. Phil when their um, series about the Smiley Face Killers came out on Oxygen, which I highly recommend. It's a six-part series. You can watch it, rent it on iTunes. But like I said, I mean, I think that my criticism of that, I think they go in depth in Dakota James and their research in Dakota James is superb. But like the shortcomings, it's only six cases. It's not showing the breadth of these sure. this phenomenon. I think they're doing a season two, to my understanding. Okay, well, I hope they do. Yeah. So I, I, well, Supposedly I, my, the works right now or was prior to the shutdown of things, I believe. Well, that's good news. I'm glad that that's happening. So anyway, the Center for Homicide Research was done in 2010. So it's, no, I mean, you, you make some fair criticisms, William, in regards to some of their research. In their defense, I think maybe they have some factors why they're not sharing things or just the reactions in which the media or the FBI treated them initially, maybe, is prevented them to have be a bit more apprehensive in releasing additional data. Sure. However, the, the additional data they have, or the data they have, is clearly relevant. I mean, Absolutely. No yeah, oh. so the fact that they are, they are holding it could obviously be limiting things. Right, but I think that the key book you really want to read on the subject is Case Studies in Forensic Drowning. That's their book. That's what they put yeah. out. And that's really yeah. the book that I go back to. So I'm not, I'm not throwing no, them out. I mean, that's what got me interested in the topic as well. So I agree with you there. And I think that right. they, I think they proved. I think Gannon and Gilbertson proved that the the symbol of this smiley face is an element to some of these crimes. Sure. And, and I think I've bolstered that. Uh, through more of my research, seeing things in the media and in Hollywood and some of these other cultists are, are clearly using the smiley face symbol in certain certain situations. I would agree with the, uh, you. Your first documentary on the subject was an eye-opening experience to me in the use of the smiley face. Yeah. All the way down to Burroughs. I mean, yeah. some of the characters involved. Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't know much about Burroughs, but I mean, you could actually make the argument that... Uh, and I don't know, I don't know enough about Nirvana, but Kurt Cobain using that skewed smiley face from Burroughs, and he did an album with Burroughs. Like, sure. he had person, and these guys are together, Leary and Cobain and Genesis P. Orridge, who I featured in the first movie. All these guys go back. In recent past, yeah. right? Yes, correct, just this year, so. Yeah. He was in a movie with Damien Eccles. So you can kind of see the genealogy of this idea is going all that far back, and people reference you know the smart kind of leadership of maybe left-hand path interested people you know go back to or through burrows sure yeah i think there's definitely a lineage there i think you struck on a vein of some sort i mean there's whether or not it's the whole story it's certainly part of the story yeah and the other interesting thing is also like the new burrows is chuck palaniuk right or whatever you pronounce his name chuck palaniuk who wrote Mm -hmm. fight club and when you read that book you realize how how sophisticated he is and how knowledgeable about the occult and at the very end when tyler durden who's a five and a six right five letters and a six like the number of 11 the number of magic the pentagon and the the pentagram and the hexagram you realize he shoots himself in the face the book ends with him having a smiley face at the very end it's incredible it's incredible i feature that in occult hollywood i touch on that And and there's a smiley face in the film there's smiley faces all through uh fight club if you watch it very carefully they're carefully placed it's very sophisticated but i mean even brad pitt's making thumb on his chin hand signs and all this stuff there's all kinds of cult stuff in, in fight club yeah i don't i obviously haven't uh, 
maybe running through it with a fine tooth comb for the occult uh, undertones, but I've certainly picked up on a few of those, especially the smiley faces. Yeah. After watching your documentary, I see smiley faces more and more every, everywhere I go. Yeah, no, you've got to ask the question, why is it there? You know, why are these there at these certain times? Why are they placed yeah, there the in context. these films? Yeah. A lot of times it's the context I, I question. Yeah, but it almost feels like it's the right context, right? Like this is where it's supposed, like the symbolism, the symbolic meaning of it, whether you go through the Watchmen, whether it's No Country for Old Men, whether it's um, Fight Club, it's all a big joke, right? It's right there. Yeah, yeah it's the yeah, same it thing. So. It seems to be the, that that seems to be the undertone, a dark humor, and uh, possibly even chaos. Yes. Yeah. And I think that's what we're kind of seeing with the, the the smiley face killers. That's so anyone perpetrating such a crime would have seemingly have that chaotic, that chaos at, at the root of their like, the person that their their nature of a person would be seeking kind of that chaotic um, atmosphere. Maybe. Yeah. That's not the way really good. No, but it's true. It's just trying to paint a picture of the criminology of, of the person who would be involved in such a crime. I think it's a good point. I mean, I think you make a great point there because a couple of cases come to mind. It was the one out of Philadelphia where, uh, what's it, Gant? I can't remember his name. but Tommy Booth. Booth, yes, very good. Where he's, he's like, I don't know who these people are. They're sketchy. Yep. And I'm suspicious about them. And then he's found in six inches of water, or like a very, or a previously searched water where... There on the wall is like a big sigil with a smiley face, right? So, mm-hmm. um, and when his uncle re- retold that story in the Oxygen Network television show when they interviewed him. This guy's a retired army colonel, and he, to me, he looks, he looks, you know, well, as he's as he's trying to tell this story, like he doesn't understand. This is the man who thought he understood the world, it seemed, and then his nephew, his nephew, ran afoul and, and and died this way, and. He doesn't seem to to be able to put these these things together in his head. Interesting. Yeah. No, it's hard. I mean, it's you know, I think that um, the the motivations of, of a cult or cult or those ideas are so uh, con- not condemned, but kind of shunned or frowned upon or laughed at that people have shut down that element of their minds to look into that as mm-hmm. motivation. So uh, no, I think right. I mean, until I just, I mean, I. It's more of a um, kind of a sliding scale. Like I've, as I learned of the smiley face killers twelve years ago now or so, I've, you know, it's been a progression to understand more and more of the occult nature of what these crimes could be. Yeah, and I mean, there's that whole code of silence. There's initiation, right? So um, you know, you know, don't, like if you look at the Temple of Psychic Youth, that orange ran, you know, it's like a militant. Uh, organization with cells. It's really a cell. I'm not saying that they're the ones involved in the smiley face killing, but if you look at how it's set up, it's cellular. There are people mm-hmm. in different cities with a head who is telling you what to do or sure. or sending out information. So you're going up a scale. If you look at the pro- the organization of the process church, much like that as well. Different well you, actually just, you actually just took the words out of my mouth because I was going to ask you how this relates potentially to Thelema or process church for that matter as an offshoot of Philema. well you know I, what you, you i think that if you go and kind of look at the like the like the genealogy of Crowley died in 1947 oto and then off branches and then there's like the illuminates of thanateros uh, leary was one christopherson was one you know these guys but they're also involved in other stuff so it's hard to really put a pin on it but 
Um, so there may, may not be that group as a perpetrator, but that group somehow may overlap right. with memberships. Of the like, I don't know. Like, yeah, I think it's unfortunate that some of these people who are caught, they don't, they get busted for the crime, but nobody really asks them those pertinent questions. How did you get into this? Who sure. were you with? And if you look back at some of these similar crimes, it's pretty apparent that people are, are working in tandem. If you look at Kraft or Eiler or some of these other, the, both of the people who wrote books on McDonough and uh, Colerick said these guys could not have committed their crimes by themselves. So mm-hmm. it's like, what's going on? Like, and it, I yeah. think that's far more common amongst quote-unquote serial killers than is commonly believed about yes. serial I totally agree. If you look at what's the other guy who had the kids underneath his house? What was it? Uh, Gacy. Clearly, oh yeah, yeah. That's clearly had example. another dude. Somebody said one of the victims who got away said he was in the room and he said the light turned on in the other part of the house. You know. So I agree. Yeah, that's a great yeah. example, John Wayne Gacy. And yeah. in studying using that as an example, you know, he was extremely well um, positioned within the Democratic National Committee of Illinois. Yeah, he, and he was also in like some other social group. Yeah, I forgot which one. It was either the Knights of Columbus. He was high up in. He was always having social meetings and connected. Sure. He was, he was mixing it up with people. And at the very end, he was. Guess what? He was disp- where he was dispensing the bodies in Rivers. The last mm-hmm. four victims he threw off a bridge, and then you kind of can take it to the um, Atlanta child murders. Same thing. All water, right? Sure. Yeah, I think there could be a larger network we just don't understand, not knowing some of the factors of the occult ritual aspects of these crimes. Don't know, but you don't, you know, you yeah. don't know what's going on in the dark web. You don't know where people have similar interests. And I think it goes back to this guy who was recently arrested, Katunsky. He had this weird wolf lycanthropy uh, subset where you know they they would go. There were jo- inside jokes of going out on full moons and howling. And other people who were also interested in the same stuff, like Conifer. And there was one, I mean, his Instagram is somewhat telling because he also had a very, he had a Christ, anti-Christian animus, right? So he's always like, oh, these um, uh, these evangelical Christians are going to come here and this is what I'm going to respond with, you know? So he kind of had a an anti-Christian bias, which a lot of these occultists do. If you look at Orge or these other, Crowley. Um, but... Um, also, just he there was one that he was with his boyfriend at the time and says, "We're the type of people your parents warned uh, warned you about." Like that's what he wrote. Yeah, yeah. So that's. I mean, I like to think that. I think some people maybe think that some folks are being facetious, making such statements like that. I generally take people for their word. If they're going to make a statement like that. I think there's probably more to that story. I think there's a lot more to that story. I think there's a lot more to the Stephen Port story. You know, I think he they only got him for four victims. I wouldn't be surprised if these guys are much more active. It's been, uh, there was the other guy who I wrote about who had two victims, whose name I don't recall, but they, you know, they, they, they might, their victim pool may include people that I have studied on the SFK, you know, phenomenon. Sure. It wouldn't surprise me yep. at all. It would, that seems reasonable, sure. Now, if there's, you know, uh, serial killers like John Wayne Gacy and possibly um, he could be involved in occult things, and we see other politicians today that are highly, seem to be highly uh, enveloped in occult activities. I'll yeah. throw out the name John Podesta as an example. George and Bush. Look at the Bush family. George Skull Bush would be another great example. Yeah, yep. Skull and Bones. 
Both sides of the aisle. House there. of the Temple, right? Both sides of the aisle. House of the Temple, Bohemian Grove. They don't go yep. to church, man. Those are that's their uh, that's their place. So, House of the Holy, so to speak. I I think you're spot on there. This is their religion, in, 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 as far as a religious worldview would go for somebody. And if that is the case, then do you suspect there could possibly be political involvement as far as squashing? these yes. cases ever reaching the light of day. Yes. I think that that's potential. No doubt. Yeah. I, and I, I, I think I, I even in Pittsburgh, like I've heard stories about, yeah, I mean, I don't want to go into details, but there's a sure. lot more going on. And I think I talked to was uh, one, he probably doesn't want his name mentioned, but he said, it's like, they don't want to admit that it's happening. They don't want to scare people kind of like jaws. You know, I think what was the city sure. Amity we're up for business. It's kind of like what's happened with this COVID thing, you know? Like, hey, there's no problem here. We've just had 80,000 people die in the last two months. But, hey, get back to work. I can see where that, that uh, viewpoint may be as far as um, kind of generally speaking. But then the, the more and more you look at the details, you got to kind of almost have to come up with a, some reason or motivations, at least, behind why some of these departments would want to continue to actively fight the family or actively right. fight, you know, the detectives that the family hires or actually fight the corner that the family hires. It just seems like there's a lot of pushback. Even, you know, there are, are. but look, look at the money. Like look at the colleges. What if they just lost 10% of their uh, students because somebody found out that city was dangerous. or there's a serial killer. It's an immense amount of money at stake, man. And reputational, reputational damage too. Oh, Mm -hmm. Pittsburgh is a terrible town. They just let the criminals run over loose and kill kids and rape kids. So, um, yeah, there's I, certainly some political concerns for sure. Yeah, definitely. I think, I, just, I think, at some that, time, yeah. I really question the, the, um, the lack of concern, or just yeah. generally speaking on the subject matter. Cause you, and, and, and they kind of highlighted it, highlighted some of this during the Oxygen series, especially relative to the Dakota James family. I mean, I'm, anytime I see anything with the James family, I'm appalled the manner in which that family's been treated. Oh, it's outrageous. It's totally outrageous. One of the interesting things that I've talked about with some of the other people is that the families all don't seem to be super active. They don't seem to be... um, They don't just don't seem to be... I don't know what the word is. It's like they're not people who are politically active. It's almost weird like the victim pool. It's like... It's almost like something going on like the Morlocks and the Eloy, you know, where they, they don't seem to have that ability to work through the system effectively. So you're, I've heard you make that statement before, just like you said there, that exactly. the families may not be you know, accustomed to the procedures or know exactly what's going on or may just be shut down through fear. Well, Alex Holden of Sacramento from your Part 2 documentary, that's not his family. Did you want to speak to some of, some of the victims' profiles? Yeah, well, it's not. I don't. I don't know what's like the follow up is what's happened since then. But he was a young guy, typical mo, fit the, the profile of a victim, a good looking guy, and he was in downtown Sacramento. I had an argument with his girlfriend and walked out. And I think he was missing for thirty nine days. Like I can't remember, it was a thirty long time, days right? missing a long time. And then, yeah, and then is I mean in the same story. Search rigorously searched. And uh, in the same area where he was found, and then his dad said he was found in water. I didn't get all the details. That also see, has like that whiff of like uh, 
the police or the authorities are, are exercising information control and they do exercise information control because when I first was researching my first documentary, I called a couple police departments, man. It was like, oh, it was like pulling teeth, man. You couldn't get any information out of them. Nothing. Hey, I'm calling about this guy. I just want to know a few details. Nope. Talk to our information. Hang up. Call back. Wait online. Well, who are you? What do you want? What's the information for? I mean, it was just like it. Once I realized that that was the approach of all the police departments, I was like, oh, this is not, uh, this is not a situation that's, uh, you know, collegial or, or they at all. Warm no, not at all. It's kind of what I was getting at. I've definitely yeah. experienced the same yeah. um, warm reception from a number of law enforcement departments in regards to questions, and it, it boggles my mind yeah. to maintain this attitude. Yeah, but it's also what's interesting is like the willful denial of looking at facts because I know another author who is an ex-cop who's written on these subjects and. You know, he just keeps going back to the same Gilbert and Gannon kind of analysis, the same cases, and doesn't look at the broader. Is, is this context. guy from Milwaukee? I mean, so he's from Wisconsin. Yes, <laughs> you, you know who he is. I don't want to invoke his name or his, his wild I mean, followers. Okay. I've gone round and round with these folks on Twitter, yeah. and he, he's called me every name under yeah. the sun. And I just tell him, you know what? You want to have an adult conversation? Yeah. You let me know. Well, it's also interesting too because I've I've kind of just sit here like I'm pretty much you want to do sure. an interview, okay, let's do it. But nobody really ought to ever debate me. Like, let's have a. I mean, just even as like a gentleman lead, somebody just wants to debate, just to take up a, the side of the antagonist, just to do it, just for the exercise. Like, I'm willing to do that as well. Nobody debates me on these cases, the West Memphis Three. Like, it's just like shooting arrows right. uh, over the internet or Twitter. But never really getting into the con, never getting facts, into the meat of the matter. Don't we won't discuss like facts the... when we want to criticize your work. <laughs> Basically, what they say. Right? Yeah, yeah. No, it's, I mean, honestly, I wish that it wasn't true. Like when I first thought of the smiley face, I came at it from a different angle because I was researching what the smiley face meant. Like I came at it from a different angle. So I was like, oh, what? I remember people talking about this on Coast to Coast. And then I started watching the cases, and really the first case that I watched from disappearance to found mm -hmm. water was Joy Labute. And then I just kept watching them happen. Then I hooked up with Jim, and I'm like, hey, man, this thing is real. And he's like, I know. I know it's real. I've been watching it for two years, and this is like four or five years ago. And uh, I was a drunk so, kid I mean, in a bar who you know, fit the victim profile. That's what really caught my eye with the smiley face killers because I used to frequent bars in my mid-20s. At the time when this phenomenon first started kind of gaining ground on the media and whatnot. And I thought, well, that's interesting. I don't want to fall victim to that. I better figure out what's going on here. And then just over time, I just, I see right. it more and more. I just can't ignore it. You know, I see the, the, the more victims. This happens here. It's the same profile yeah. situations. And the police handle it the same way and just kind of pretend like it never happened. Yeah, I think it's a really harder thing to really say, okay, this person is murdered, let's look into this. It's really just easy just to say accidental death, drowning. A lot of these aren't even investigated, or the autopsies that prove drowning aren't even there. You know, they just That's say, true. oh, he's in water, he's That's drowning. True. So I think that, yeah, so, um, but I mean, I look back, and, I mean, I'm over 50 now, but I look back at my college years, I was like high risk, man. I remember certain situations at bars that were much more dangerous than anything that I ever thought. Sure. No, I, I'm right there with you. I've you definitely know? looked back at, 
various encounters I've had at bars and thought, wonder if that could have worked out a different way. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I can think a couple offhand of like, what was really happening? You know, what's and really I was going actually on? drugged in a bar one time. Um, that, so, that actually did happen to me. I I know these are real things because I lived I lived it in two thousand and three. Yeah, no, I, I I have another friend. The same thing. Weird things happen. I know people who I give one hundred percent credibility to who yeah. said I had to have been drugged, and that's actually happening a lot in L.A. You know, I keep hearing stories because I've got my you know antennae out to listen to these stories, and apparently in these bars in L.A., really? it's very common. And everybody knows they can be that's drugged. Dangerous. Yeah, yeah, that's scary. Like they're really suspicious. Like they don't know about. They don't look in the mm-hmm. context of like SFK, but like the girls are super paranoid, and the men know too. Like you can get rolled. You know, you sure. just wake up and your money's gone. And uh, like before I forget here, one note I had on that Alex Holden. I think you know when if you're looking for a high profile victim where his family may in fact follow up on this. I mean, aside from Chris Jenkins, where his uncle was, you know, one of the district FBI heads. Um, the, the victim from Minneapolis who has had his case turned to homicide. It didn't seem that his, his uh, uncle being high up in the FBI seemed to aid the family much, though, in the investigation and activities associated. However, with Alex Holden, his uncle was the former governor of Missouri, and his both of his mom and dad are judges in Missouri. So I think this one might be a little bit different. I think right. these folks might end up following through. Well, I hope they do. Um, yeah, Springfield, mm-hmm. Missouri is where he was from. So uh, that might make things more difficult. But I, I'd really be interested to see what his dad, somebody who's, you know, has that kind of legal training and looked at all the facts and can really sift through things. And uh, I'd be interested to see what his, his father comes up with. Because both families, and this goes for the families of all the victims, are all traumatized sure. and shattered. You know, it's just a horrible event. And they all really want to know the truth. You can just oh, see yeah. Dakota James's mom is still, you know, still looking around. So then all the parents actually who were interviewed by Gilbert and Gannon, Gilbertson and Gannon, all are still, they're still, you know, it's still a very important part of their lives is the loss of their child. So it's just a horrific tragedy. And uh, it's a shame that the government has, has dropped the ball on this. It's yeah, just and I think priority. conversations so, like this, you know, getting the the topic out to be discussed more so on the interwebs through larger communities. I think this is the way that this phenomenon goes away because I just don't see anyone motivated from any point of authority, be it political or law enforcement, to get behind any aspect of this. I don't see that changing anytime soon based upon just my experience in both politics and law enforcement. Yeah, Because I this, there would have to be something, a, a, a motivating event I don't see anything like that occurring with a, with a, a, ostensibly an occult network that is well versed in staying beneath the surface. This is not something that they're not used to doing. So, hiding additional details when they're already hiding their entire network, I don't think that's much of a, a stretch for their skill sets. Yeah, I uh, yeah, yeah, it's that's yeah, bad. I mean. It's not a good situation. I feel sorry for people like Holden or other people, recent victims, because, you know, somebody could have got the word out. The government could put a warning out or, you know, local communities could put warnings out like, hey, you can be drugged if you're a man or a woman. Sure. uh, So. 
And I guess I have one more question for you, or one more topic I'd like to discuss with you today, William, on the Smiley Face Killers here. And that is one issue that I don't okay. think anyone solved. You've you've asked the question. I've heard a lot of other people ask the question: Why these locations? Why are victims? Why are young men being victimized in these locations? Well, that's a good question. I mean, I think. Uh, you know, there seems to be a much more urban issue, so it doesn't seem to be rural, although there are outliers. I, 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 can, I can give you a lot of rural just examples. Where... Maybe not like um, completely, like extremely rural. I mean, obviously near cities, but I think, are there areas of the U.S. that, that seem to be higher concentration maybe, as opposed to not necessarily urban and rural, but like geographically, like Boston, New York, these seem like some hot spots. Yeah, Boston, yes. Yeah. Boston, New York, absolutely. Um, Illinois or Chicago. A little bit in San Francisco. Portland, for sure. I would say that those are all the, the really hot spots. And then there's like, you know, sprinkled around the Midwest, definitely. And uh, some in my in Florida. But certain cities don't question. seem to have any so at what, all. What do you, th- what do you think is causing know? that? What, so, like, I, I actually have a list of cities that, that have no, that I have been able to find not i have not found any victims that would fit any of these profile points as far as the standard victim victimology of the smiley face killer victims the the young man who goes drunk at a bar and gets separated from his group and then disappears for you know sometimes two days sometimes you know like you said 40 days in some cases and then it's found in a body of water presumably drowned however after further analysis by families hiring an additional coroner do another examination they find ligature marks they find burn marks they find no water in the lungs they find evidence that it wasn't a a drowning as it was prescribed and we have cities that don't have these so what do you think is causing that well my my personal perspective is that occult groups have taken to um, some occult practices of ancient times here in America for whatever reason that may be, I don't know. Whether it's something new that they've cited that, well, um, these sites where many of these folks were found are mound sites. These are ancient mound sites that exist across America where human sacrifice used to exist. And I often wonder if modern-day occult groups decided to prescribe to that ancient practice and commit human sacrifice at those same locations. And... It's possible. I mean, I, I think the thing is, is you would have to extrapolate that as to why it's happening in the UK, Europe, well, I'm, I'm some glad cases you mentioned in that, Thailand. That's where I would get back to the actual different specific cells. So what I would be, what I would be saying there would be like maybe right. a cell would be pre- prescribing to do those rituals at those sites, where another cell is opted to do something somewhere else. And over time and time again, I, I look at these things. Kyle Rogers, for example, I'll use two examples from your part two. Kyle Rogers was a classic case. East Coast, you know, Illinois, so mainly East Coast, kind of Midwest. Well, that's a a mound city that he lived in, and the park that he was found adjacent to is a mound park. And these were, so the city that he was was residing in was Belvedere, Illinois, which is in Boone County, Illinois. And if you go into the Boone County historical record, you can find that the Boone County Courthouse was constructed as the first building of the town on a mound in a ceremonial cornerstone-type ritual, if you will. 
So there's a long history of these towns getting built on these mounds. The further you go out west, maybe not as much. Um, states like New Mexico have no mounds, for example. They also have no victims. Fitting a smiley face killer, drunk kid at a bar, goes missing, etc. You know, characteristic point. But when you get out to Sacramento, for example, that's another mound city in California, and where your victim Alex Holden was found is another mound site. Discovery Park and that whole area around American River in the Sacramento River interchange was a mound complex. So, you know, as more and more of these cases do happen here in America, I continue to ask that question. I agree with you that the incidents in other nations may not be following that same precise pattern, but then it simply causes me to ask, is this simply just another issue of a different cell is operating in a different manner. Right. Well, it's possible. You know, I've, I've always, you know, even the, the original case that I studied of Joey LeBute was taken, he was disappeared during the Arnold Schwarzenegger classic where people were flying in and out of that city. So it's potential, and other people have speculated maybe these victims are held for somebody else. They're not Ooh, even captured good. for themselves, which is even really, that's a good thing, really dark that's and evil. Great. Like, we've got... You know, we got to fly, yeah. And uh, there's really scary story. I don't want to go into detail of these kind of international trafficking and children. I mean, really gnarly stuff out of Ukraine and Philippines. And, and even this guy, Yao of God, out of Brazil. Just horror stories. And Epstein, too. So, I mean, you could see that these SFK could be potential connected to even oh, those types of cases. It's not outside well, of the realm of possibility. Not. Definitely not. That's I got a call for I got a call for uh, this guy. I want him to be 24 years old. I want this look. Somebody goes out, you know, and finders fee. That sounds know. like how Epstein Super rich operating. People, so right? it sounds like we've already had networks operating precisely like you just described underneath the surface for years. Yeah. Yeah. So it's real ugly. Yeah. And I mean, look at how long Epstein operated for 30 years. 30 sure. years he was up to all kinds of shenanigans. He was able to accrue half a billion dollars. What was he doing? The totality is never... And actually, I heard an interview with one of the original victims, and she saw all these kids, and I they're did, not accounted I heard that interview, yeah. That and was she didn't say, point. like... Yeah, was um, that true news? I, just, I remember yeah, the true victim's news, name, Maria Farmer. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, that was her. Yeah, so she was... So, she, uh, really dark, and, evil and stuff And Maria Farmer was saying these kids that she saw were... No one knows, right? Yeah, they don't even know where they came. And there's reports of unknown kids coming out of Venezuela. I just, I mean, just oh, the worst. And one, one thing I give, I mean, so. some of the stuff Maria Farmer said, and I thought I knew a lot about Epstein, you know. And I, I took note of her early on because that happened not far from me here in Ohio, actually. Near Les Wexner's. Right, that's right. Yeah. And she right. said that Bill Gates and Jeffrey Epstein were essentially you know, close associates in 1995. You know, wow, the the current storyline goes, Bill Gates met Jeffrey Epstein around 2009, I believe, and has publicly stated that he doesn't even know Jeffrey Epstein, even though there's plenty of evidence claiming that that's a lie. Um, yeah, everything yeah, publicly about Epstein's a lie. That. I mean, it's just all lies. His whole background's a lie. What he owned is a lie. 
Um, what he did was a lie. He was. There's no records of him being a financial advisor. He might be advising people about money, but there's right. no yeah. reporting or anything. No reporting. It's, it's he totally was a teacher at a private school without yeah. ever graduating college. Yeah, it's just all. It's just a. It's a, you know, it's like a his personality is like a cutout, just like an you know an intel op. I mean, it's unbelievable to me for me to believe that they let. Elaine Maxwell get away. It's unbelievable. It's such a total incompetence by the U.S. government, man. Off the charts. Like if other people could figure out what's going on, like the, the journalists, it's just like where's the government? You have access. Yeah, I'd really to so like to know what's going on with that situation personally so because Elaine Maxwell seemed like such an easy target to arrest. There's tons of evidence, man. There's people talking the about her. I mean, I mean, what else yeah. are we looking for? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No kidding. Yeah, so that's, that's a, a good example because that again that but, that whole uh, network thrived for decades. Yes, yes, a massive network, international, traveling around. If you look at his flight records, he's bouncing in sure. between all kinds of weird places: Tangier, France, you know, Venezuela. Just no oversight with those planes. Very little no, oversight. I mean, all those are good points, and the fact you people use such an old jet is also odd to me. There must be. Uh, Why is that's that? an old. Are you familiar with the uh, DB Cooper case? The guy that hijacked yeah, hundred thousand dollars from the airlines and then jumped out of an airline plane. This is like right. circa nineteen seventy-two. Yes, and he jumped out uh-huh. of the same model jet that Jeffrey Epstein used. And for some, yes, that old. Really, exactly. that old. And it's not only. Not only is it the age of the aircraft, because aircraft, I mean, I spent years in the Air Force. I've been around a lot of procurement of aircraft from all the manufacturers, et cetera. They, they make some fine products, and they last. I mean, C-130s have been in service since 1960, 1958, and they still do great work for the United States Air Force today. So airplanes can last long. The, the point being with his is that you know he had such a unique model, the, the ability to get aircraft parts, to find a mechanic to, to work on it, Etc. just wasn't as readily available as newer models that he should have been able to afford. That's weird. Do you think that he had That's it so precisely. he could dump stuff yeah, out of the back? Like why I think he had it because he could open up right. that back hatch while in flight, you know, under, you know, maybe 15,000 feet altitude. He could open up that hatch and have no problems. He could dump people, goods, you name it. Wow. That's incredible. Yeah, it's all a shame, man. It's all a shame that a lot of that stuff, information, he had to go, man. They had to kill him. They, all that information sure. and stuff could not come out. Sure. So. Yeah, it just makes yeah. you wonder what if a, 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 a cult network of what you and I have discussed here for the last half could be thriving today. And I think yes. that, yes, that is a great you know case study of how it could be thriving today. Absolutely, that's a great point. So there are overlaps, and if you look at Epstein, if you look at the, if you read the um, autobiography by uh, Virginia Dufresne, he had like secret secret tunnels. He had statues to pan. He had Horus on that weird sure. temple in his island. Uh, he had a bunch of other really creepy people who were illumined, like literal occult illuminated. <laughs> right. I don't want to name their names, but. They're, they have a different a different religion, man. I think it's not a on. religion. One thing I noticed about Jeffrey Epstein, and you, you might have some information on this with your knowledge of Thelema, 
he appears to sign everything with the infinity symbol. If it's not the infinity symbol, it looks a lot like it. Yeah, I mean, I mean, right there, it's. I don't know that uh, if there's an like a uh, secret meaning there, but you know, he was involved sure. in all kinds of crazy stuff. I mean, his connections. If you look at some of these, he was going to this mon. He was flying to Monterey, and hanging out with like the heads of Google, the head of YouTube. Um, there's pictures with him with all kinds of very people with a lot of oh, a lot of juice, a lot of power, and you know, you don't know what his full attraction was. And pe- I mean. They're still covering oh, yeah. up for him. Oh, the yeah. crazy thing is, is people were covering up for him for for decades, and I think like if you look at like Dershowitz and Cernovich, and some of these other guys. I mean, I'm watching some of these interviews. It's clear they're log rolling for and covering mm-hmm. up for what they knew happened. Uh, like people would look at this guy Mark Levin on TV, and I'm just looking at him talk to Dershowitz and going, "You're not even asking the right question." They actually had Joe Rogan had. Um, had uh what what's his had Jeffrey Epstein's um really? cook on his show. Uh this guy Perry, yeah. And he didn't even ask him any questions about Epstein. Wow. It's the most important relevant act. because this guy Perry gets mentioned by Jufrey in her autobiography. Picture? Yeah. So you can sit still wow. I saw within I, the last I think month. I know exactly who you're talking about. I don't really watch the Joe Rogan show much, but I did see that he had a chef on there and I was wondering kinda who was this guy. And that was Epstein's chef, huh? Um, wow. Yeah, Adam Perry Lang. Oh, his name. It was actually published yeah, one week ago. And uh, you want to talk about? We can get into. I could do a full show on Rogan and all of the stuff he's covered up because he's 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 like two degrees of separation from oh. Epstein. He's had this guy Pinker. He's had Kraus. All these yeah, dudes are mixed with Epstein. Well, actually, the science he's covered up for. Sure. Yeah. No, no. Rogan, I'd actually, man, if you'd well, 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 like to have that conversation well, in the future, please please keep me in mind. I'd love to have that conversation. Anytime. Uh, well, <laughs> I can tell you all this. Because he also has this guy who's like pals with Damien Eccles, who was a convicted child killer on Netflix. Oh, this yeah. Duncan Trussell. Yeah. I mean, Boy, Rogan's uh, yeah. associate, Stanhope, seems to be integrated into that network as well with Johnny Depp and Marilyn Manson and oh, possibly boy. The Process, it sounds like. Yeah, well, you should see, and then Rogan also did, was uh, this other musician. All these guys who are all fans yeah, I mean, of Danny Eccles. It's Henry of, Rollins. Eccles, correct? Yeah, but but I'm just saying that these ones are all connected to Rogan. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And well, so, the other so guy's Johnny name Depp, is... Like Rogan, uh, I think yeah. Rogan's best friend is best friends with Johnny Depp. Yeah, Doug, oh, is that right? Doug, I didn't Doug know Stan that. Who's, who's, which one? I yeah, didn't Doug, know that. So Stan oh, is friends best, with that. His best friends are apparently Marilyn Manson I had and no Johnny idea. Depp. Yeah, supposedly. I had no that's what idea. I was. Yeah, that's what I, I would love no to idea. have I'm a conversation sorry. like this. This sounds like something we need to record in the future, William. <laughs> I think so. It sounds good. We should probably Absolutely. wrap this up. I'm, I need to go get another cup no, of coffee if, or something. But yeah, no, I didn't know that. No, I, we should we should talk offline. Definitely. I'll make a little list. We'll, we'll just we'll just riff off of all these Absolutely. strange Absolutely. Well, it was uh, excellent talking to you once again. I appreciate your time. I appreciate your efforts in documenting the Smiley Face Killers. I think you've done an excellent job once again with your second documentary. Thanks. I appreciate it. Well, it's great to talk with you. You're so knowledgeable. You, it's good to know somebody is keeping notes and also knows oh, the cases. Absolutely. So uh, it's great to be with you again. Well, let's, uh, let's talk again soon.
Love to. Yeah, love to. Okay, thank you. Love to. All right. All right, bye-bye.